Hey, you ever had a message, um, ever preached a sermon where you just couldn't wait to get to church? Some of you are going, well, I don't know that I've ever uh, preached a sermon, but um, if I did, I would like to think that I was excited. And well, I, I tell you, that's just the way I am today. And thank you, by the way, Kristen. That was a wonderful song and great lyrics. If you don't know that song, that is um, a United, uh, the, the group, and they are, um, it's very extremely popular in, in today's culture. And I don't know if you can see standing behind you there were the teenagers with arms raised. Whenever I hear that song, students, hello, am I talking out of a drum? Does it sound like that? Sounds like I'm talking out of a drum. Can y'all fix me? I need a lot of help. Look at me. Help me. All right. Hello. Okay. We're having some technical difficulties. Apologize for the silent movie thing there, but it's all right. So it's all good. Um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Whenever I think about that song, I think about um, when we were on the Canadian mission trip to Toronto. Seth, that's the first time I heard that song. And man, was it uh, in the Gray Power van. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Gray Power buddies. Hey, listen, you hadn't lived till you go on a mission trip with teenagers, all right? Amen. I tell you, I'm almost 50 years old and I've I backed up. I think I got in my 30s on that trip. It was, it was incredible, great time. That church, by the way, that we're planting up in Toronto, some of y'all look at me like, I didn't know we were planting a church in Toronto. Guys, we're planting a church in Rhode Island. We're planting a church in Toronto. We're reaching a totally unengaged, unreached people group on the big continent with a billion people. I tell you, God is moving in our church, and He's moving through our church, and there are things happening all over the world that you would be so... Now, by the way, there is a conceit and a pride that's not good, but there is a pride that is good. You would be so proud of your church and what God is doing all over uh, the globe. So today, the reason I'm so excited is I want to do something I've never, ever, ever, ever done in my ministry. Now, I take sermon preparation very seriously. I always start on Monday, and I study many, many, many hours. And then yesterday, I, I finished out the sermon I started on Monday, and I was memorizing it, and I was going over it, and God just, I feel like, came to me and said, why don't you preach that next week? Let me give you a new sermon for tomorrow. Ooh, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I like, I like to be in control. You know what I'm saying? I like everything to be neatly organized and that, that compulsive, obsessive something disorder. I'm sure I got lots of disorders, all right? And I wanted this thing just to be just like a, and God says, you need to trust me and write a new sermon for tomorrow. So here it is. Here's your new sermon for tomorrow for today. And I'm a little nervous about it because I just prepared it. I've been reading in the book of Isaiah, and it's in my quiet time, and God just really has been speaking to me and challenging me. Now, by the way, every day for the last 10 years, I have been reading a chapter in the book of Proverbs and I read through the Bible. I've read through the Bible numerous times, and I highly recommend it, by the way, because you will read passages that you would never read on your own, but if you have this systematic process. So I'm reading through the book of Isaiah, and God just laid this Isaiah 43 passage in my heart and in my lap. I just could not get away from it. Have you ever come across a text like that? And it's like you've read it many times, but it's like you've never read it before. And God just really speaking to my heart. And I've been sharing this with our staff. I've been sharing some of these things with a, with a group of men in our church about our church and who we are and where we're going and that sort of thing. And so on the eve of Thanksgiving, I guess you could call this a Thanksgiving message. The title of it is Grateful to God 
uh, for a new thing. Grateful to God uh, for a new thing. So our text is Isaiah 43. It's really 16 through 21, but it really could be the entire chapter. Uh, And so I will read the text for you, and then I will share this message with you that um, I didn't get to watch as much football as I normally would on Saturday. Okay, y'all got to lighten up. Y'all got to help me now. All right, help me now. Help me. I'm up here. I'm on, on my own, okay? And I'm on uncharted waters up here preparing this uh, new message for you today. Here, here's what I think is going to happen. God's going to really speak to somebody today. If God could get me out of my comfort zone and do a new thing, He can get you to where you need to be with Him. So I want to read this text to you and may God speak to your heart through it. Isaiah 43 says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Can y'all please get this ringing out of my ears? It's, it's, it's hurting me. Do I need another microphone? Hello? Corey, do I need another microphone? You, I don't? Okay. Okay, the greatest, let me stop right, right quick, the greatest event in the Old Testament, arguably the greatest event in the Old Testament is what I just read. Now, think with me as you read that text, what does that hearken back to? What does that point back to? It starts with an E, the Exodus. That is exactly right. Isaiah is reminding the people of God of when at the precipice of the Red Sea, there was water in front, there were an Egyptian army in the back, and God did a new thing. I don't think we've ever read, I don't think that anybody's ever heard of God splitting a sea. And God split the sea wide open, and the children of Israel rushed through, and the waters, they came a-tumbling down on the Egyptians, and they were extinguished. They were quenched like a wick. Now look at verse 18. In light of that, and having said that, Isaiah says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise." Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. His ministry was a very lengthy one, at least a minimum of 40 years. He began prophesying. He was called to the ministry in 740 B.C. In the year that King Uzziah died, 740 B.C., Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And so he commences, he begins, inaugurates this lengthy prophetic ministry that began in around 740, and many people believe it stretched all the way to around 681. So he was an older man who was prophesying and preaching, and part of the sermon that he preached was Isaiah 43. Now, by the way, if Isaiah is a prophet, prophets oftentimes will tell you things you do not want to hear, but deep down in your heart you know you need to hear them, okay? I like Pastor Ochester preached here for almost 40 years. I'm sure he said some things that you were like, ouch, 
Man, he's been, he's been stomping on my toes. And, and listen, when anybody tells me that, man, you stomped on my toes, they, they also, often, oftentimes say, but you also spoke to my heart. And so a prophet will speak the truth, even though it's hard to hear, but deep down in your heart you know you need to hear it. Is that, is that good? Is that clear? Say, I don't know where you're going with this, brother. What, do you, what, are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? Okay, stay with me. Also, though, a prophet not only foretells and foretells, but he also has words of incredible comfort and incredible insight and vision. And Isaiah had all this. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9, it contains these rich prophetic words when it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And Handel took those words along with many other words in Isaiah, and he crafted and created Handel's Messiah. And then I come to Isaiah chapter uh, 26, verses 3 and 4. I think this will come up on the screen. Trust in the Lord forever. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. My wife shared with me just the other day. She said, I want you to know for this entire year, every day, I have been praying for you, Isaiah chapter 26, 3 and 4, that God would keep your mind in perfect peace because you are trusting in Him, you are serving Him, you are loving Him. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. Do not be distracted. Trust in the Lord. He will give you perfect peace. My wife's a great preacher, by the way. Amen. Preacher, your wife's a great preacher. Amen. I don't know if that's legal or not. Anyhow, they, they are great, all right? And they, they speak to us, all right? So praise the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And then there's this text. Isaiah 53. Now, these are some of the high water marks of the book of Isaiah. This text says, And they made his grave, the Messiah's grave, with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no wrong, no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That Isaiah 53, that is a powerful prophetic word about the coming Messiah. Jesus was crucified between two robbers, two thieves. And his tomb was a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. He gave his tomb to Jesus. And so Isaiah has this amazing insight. He has this prophetic revelation that God gives to him so that he can preach the message to the people of God and they can be blessed. Now, our text today, Isaiah 43, speaks of God's redeeming power. And I want you to look at verse 1 because this is a, it sets the tone for our, for our uh, focused passage. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, I formed you, O Israel, fear not. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are uh, mine. And so this, this message today is really giving thanks to God for who He is, praising His name, not being a people of fear, being a people of faith, trusting in the Lord, being open to God. Let, let, thank you, God, for what you did in the past. That is wonderful and that is awesome, but I don't want to dwell there. I don't want to live there because, God, we don't live in the past. We live in the present. We're looking to the future, and God is going to do a new thing. I tell you, this, this passage of Scripture just got all over me yesterday, so now it's going to get all over you, okay? So Isaiah 43 I've given you the context. Let, let me broaden the context just a little bit more. In 16 and 17, he is, he's talking about the great exodus. And then he, he transitions to another exodus. And the other exodus would happen around 537 B.C. when Cyrus, the king,
the king of the Medes and the Persians, would capture and kill the Babylonian king 150 years before Cyrus had ever lived, Isaiah prophesied his name and that he would take over the Babylonian kingdom. I tell you, Isaiah is amazing. He is, he is a prophet with a hard message, but he's also a prophet with a soothing message that will encourage uh, the people of God. So first of all, let me share this word with you. Let us thank God uh, for who he is. You know, during this Thanksgiving season, I've I do want to just, on the eve of Thanksgiving, thank the Lord uh, for who He is. Uh, Isaiah tells us in verse 1, he talks about the power of God. God, You're the one who created us. You formed us. You redeemed us. You possess us. And then in 41.10, he says these words to us. He says, do not fear. Come on, guys, look at this. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous uh, right hand. When we face hardships and we face difficulty, have you ever noticed when the rug of life is yanked out from under us, our default position is always to worry and not trust God? Have you ever noticed that? That even though we're believers, even though we love God and we know who God is, and God has done amazing things in our lives. I mean, He has performed miracle after miracle. But when tragedy comes or when difficulty comes, we wring our hands, we, we shake our fists, just like the pagan world. And it's like our default position is one of fear, and yet it should be one of faith. Now, now, now listen, I, I know what's going on in our church. Do you know? Have you received the text? Have you got the phone calls? Have you got the emails of people that said, I've just been diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer this week. I've just been told that my life is about to radically change at my job. My job is totally different now. I don't even know if I'm going to have a job next week. And if I do keep my job, things are going to be very different. And my, and my colleagues, their lives are going to be very different. Listen, this is the world of ministry. Every day, I get some kind of bad news. I'm not exaggerating. Every day. Listen, you don't, you don't do this deal unless you're called to this deal, okay? It will depress you. It will, it will it'll make you say, I can't handle that. I can't do that anymore. Every single day, I get, especially with Twitter and Facebook and email and phone calls, I get some news saying, my life is in tragedy. Difficulty has bombarded me. That's why I've got to have a time with the Lord every day. That's why I've got to have a good and godly wife who will build me up and encourage me because every day to pastor a flock like this, somebody's life has come, become unraveled. And here's why I was so excited to get to the pulpit today and say these words, our God reigns. He knows. He knows. Listen, He he sees you. He, he hears you. He loves you. He reaches out to you. Do not fear. Fear is not of God. Worry is not of God. Faith, belief, and trust, these are of God. So Isaiah says, remember who he is. He created you. He saved you. He changed you. He redeemed you. All Israel. Remember in verse 16, God made a way in the sea and in the path. He created a path in the mighty waters. Now, let me ask you a question. If God can split a sea, could He not assist you? 
Could he not help you? Let's, let's, let's watch it. Y'all want to watch the parting of the Red Sea one more time? Now, this is not Charlton Heston. This is a little updated. So let's, let's see. If I hope, it, I hope the, Does it work? Does the sound work? Let's try it. Oh. You'll get the silent movie treatment, but here it is. I want you to watch this. Moses is praying. The Egyptians are coming. The children of Israel are worried. He's not worried anymore. Watch this. Come on now. The sea in front, the army behind. Man of God, go into the sea. Watch this. <laughs> He's praying. They're coming. Oceans deep. Come on. Ruh roll. <laughs> Look at that. And he says, Come on. So, is that good? <laughs> Woo. Mm. Reminds me of a song years ago, the, the cathedral saying, Ernie Haas's group says, Standing there at the Red Sea, God's people began to complain. Soon Pharaoh and his mighty army would take us in bondage again. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, Moses cried. Then God parted the waters and they crossed to the other side. God delivers Again, oh my God delivers again. When it seems that all is lost, He reaches down His hand. And when all the forces of evil, man, they have to flee at His command. Just when things look hopeless, my God delivers again. Whoa, ain't that good? God delivers. Every time, listen, there at the sea, the sea is, 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 is a watery grave. The Egyptians with their powerful army are pursuing them, and Isaiah reminds them, he said, did God not make a way in the sea? Did not God bring forth the chariot and his horse and the army and all their power? And did they not rise because God extinguished them? That was a supernatural, cataclysmic event in the life of Israel. And Isaiah is reminding them, and in verse 17, it's very descriptive. It, it just tells them in, in, this, in these two very succinct, powerful, theological-packed verses that God delivered them, and they ought to thank God. I think we ought to thank God. I think we ought to thank God every single day. If you don't know how blessed you are, then you ought to maybe get out of your comfort zone and go visit somebody that's not very blessed. And one of our deacons, one of our young Newly ordained deacons and I took a little trip and felt like we'd have to get on a ship to get to where we were going Friday afternoon because we went to South Austin. And man, those people have been devastated. Our neighbors, 
devastated. And we just happened to go to the one house that the guy didn't lose everything. And so we, we were there, and it, it's just so heartbreaking. It's so sad. And I was telling some of our guys this morning, I was going, guys, aren't we blessed? Are we not just incredibly blessed? Let us thank God and praise God. We are blessed to be a blessing. Number two, let us not dwell on past victories. If you'll notice in verse 18, this is almost shocking to me. I wasn't prepared for this when I was reading this this week when it says, don't remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Now, what is Isaiah saying here? Is Isaiah telling the children of Israel and telling us, okay, listen, you need spiritual amnesia. You need to forget everything that God ever did for you in the past. You just need to get over it. I'm telling you guys, I promise you, that is not what he is saying. Because our Bible teaches us on many occasions that whenever you're facing an obstacle or whenever you are dealing with difficulty, instead of being fearful, instead of having cowardice or timidity or doubt or worry or fear, don't do that, but just think. Think back on the multitude of time after time after time God delivered, God saved, God rescued, God performed miracles, and so now face this current challenge with great faith in the God that you have seen do many, many things in the past. So that is not what he's saying. So what is he saying? (laughs) Here's what he's saying. Remember the past. Can y'all see I'm up here in a rug? There's a rug up here. Oh, rug. This is a rug. Can y'all see it? Okay, good. Watch it. I'm on the end of the rug, okay? And I'm about to step out and cross the waters to the unknown, okay? I'm going out there. And so remember God's great providential, sovereign hand in the past. But watch this. Don't live here. Don't live in yesteryear. Don't live in yesterday. Don't live in the past. So many times, God has so much for us. He wants us to step out in a new day, in a new way, and reach people with the gospel, but yet we are are handcuffed, we are worried, we are doubting, and all we can remember is what God did back here, but guess what? God's not here. God's over here. And really, God, He's out here going, woo-hoo, come on, man, come on. There's things to do. There are people to reach. There's the gospel to be preached. And if we're going to do it, we can't live and stay in the good old glory days. we got to move out in faith and in victory, trusting God. God, what do you have for us today? Oftentimes, I believe the enemy captures us, cripples us, Because in the midst of difficulty, all we do is we go back, we reminisce, and we think about, well, you know, God back then, God really did those things. Where is God today? That's the wrong question. The right question is, where are the people of God today? You know, we did it. We had an interesting uh, meeting this past week. I asked a group of guys to just meet with me and pray with me about our church and about our future and you know, and where, where we are, where we're going, and that sort of thing. Some good godly laymen and some our pastors. And, you know, and I, I, one of the guys in that uh, meeting, I don't, don't want to call anybody's name, but uh, Felix Daly, it was uh, interesting. You know, we, we were in this meeting, and he, he just was like, he just stepped way outside the box and brought up something. And, and, I, and I walked away from that meeting, and I said, who is that guy? And I know who he is. 
But he's 85 years old, and he acts like he's like 25 years old. He's my texting buddy, by the way. I mean, Felix texts. He, he likes to text, all right? And he's like, man, what, what if we did this? What if God is in that? And I thought, isn't that amazing? By the way, we've got people like that at Great Hills Baptist Church. Listen, they're older, but they're not old. Ooh, I got a good word for you. Here's, here's a word. Ooh, this is a good word. Let me see if I can find it. Age doesn't make you old. Attitude makes you old. See? Listen, we got some older people in the church. I'm going to just call some of you out for just a minute, all right? Ralph, I'm not looking at you. You're not old yet, all right? I'm looking at the guy in front of you, okay? Who is he? Who is that guy? That's Mr. Pinkston, is it not? Wynn Pinkston. How old are you, Wynn? 90? 92. Woo. 92 years old. That guy is one of the most positive people I have ever met in my life. Positive, loves God, loves the, the men of God, loves the church of God, and he has this can-do attitude. He and I went to lunch a few months ago, and he told me about his flying days and instructing the pilots that go over and fight in the war. Fascinating, fascinating man. We got any sweet old people over here? We got a bunch of them. I just can't see you, but I saw one a minute ago. Now, Judy, you're really not that old to me. I, I don't think you're, you're, you're like, what are you, like 70? 25. <laughs> Somebody say, Pastor, isn't, don't, didn't you learn anything? You don't ask a woman two questions, all right? You know, Miss Judy, she, she's another one of those that just thinks outside the box and always wants to serve God and please God and reach uh, a widow's and, 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 and just an encouragement. I think sometimes we buy into the lie that if we get old, then we can never go here. We must always stay back here, and we have to be defeated and mad and angry and miserable. And our goal in life is to make everybody else as miserable as I am just because I'm old, cantankerous, and I've just got a lot of ills and a lot of pills and a lot, not many thrills. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just overwhelmed with the perplexities of life. But we, I, I, just, I just don't. I don't want to do that. I, I know I'm almost 50, and, and people are like, well, just live a little bit longer, and you'll just start aching and breaking like me, and you'll be mad at the world and mad at God like me. I don't want to do that. Preacher's not like that. Have you all ever noticed that? He's like 85-something, seven, six. Barbara had to tell him, you know. Listen, sharp, quick, forward, not not living in the past and, and the glories of the past. And, and by the way, we've had great, glorious days in the past, or we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have all that we have were it not for men of God like that who had a vision and who went forward. But let me, let me tell you something. That was then. Well, what is God going to do now? What is God's will for Great Hills Baptist Church today? Is it to Thank God for the past? Yes. Is it to live in the past? No. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't dwell in the past. Point number three, watch this. Thank God for a new thing. Trust God for a new thing. Now, the context here is really fascinating to me because Isaiah is going to thank them for something that's, that hasn't yet happened yet. And, and, and one writer, he, he put it like this, and I, I love the way he writes this and describes it. So I found this in one of my commentaries. Let me read it to you. 
God who in the first exodus brought Israel out of Egypt and he drowned the Egyptian army, now God would do an even greater thing. Therefore, forgetting the past, Israel should realize God would do a new work. In this new exodus, the return from the exile, the Jews would be going through desolate desert land, and God would provide water and streams in abundance. Therefore, His chosen people, whom He created, would praise Him. End of quote. What Isaiah is saying is, yes, God delivered you in the past, but I'm telling you, God's going to deliver you again in the future in a day that you don't even know is coming. The Babylonian army, they will come, and they will capture you, but I'm telling you, I'm going to rise up a man. Cyrus is his name, and he's going to issue a decree, and he did in 537 B.C. He issued a decree. After the 70 years of Babylonian captivity, they leave Iraq, and they go back to Israel. And as they go on that journey, Isaiah is telling them, listen, I will make a road in the wilderness. There will be rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field, they're going to honor me. And all these animals, these jackals and ostriches, and I, oh, listen, I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. You will be taken care of. Do not worry. I am going to do a new thing. That's just God. That's the way He works. And the reason he does this, according to this text in 21, is so that my people may rise up and say, blessed be God. Listen, if some of your friends were to ask you, what has God done recently in your life? That is magnificent. That is miraculous. Many of you would have to go like this. Okay. Let me think about that just a second. Well, in 1954, the Lord saved me, and that's about all. No, 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 no. Last week, I got a chance to share the gospel with somebody, Brother Danny, or I got down there in South Austin, and I bought somebody some groceries, Brother Danny. Man, God did a great thing in my life just yesterday. Listen, that's where I want to be. I want to be on the edge. I want to see where God is today. Man, what has God got in mind for our church today? What great things are we going to do for God today? Not just yesteryear, not just in the past, but today, okay? Today and in the future. So one of our deacons gave me a book. By the way, I get a book at least a week, sometimes a book a day from you. Did y'all know that? I'm just sharing my secrets with you today. There is no way I could ever read every book that you give me. Okay, I love you, and I don't borrow books. I don't borrow tapes. I don't borrow CDs. Some of you are looking at me. You're laughing because we've had this little awkward moment. Pastor, you got to read this. This is an amazing thing under the sun. I'm going to loan it to you, and I'm like, I, I don't borrow things from you. Okay, here's why. I lose them. <laughs> I lose them, and it's very embarrassing. And I had a guy one time in one of my churches <laughs> that I pastored, and and he gave me the CD. I didn't ask for it. He just said, I'll give it to you. I'm going to let you borrow it, and I'll come back and get it. And I was like, okay. And then I lost it. He said, you lost it? I said, I lost it. I said, but I'll give you $10 for it. He said, okay. He took my money. I'm like, what? So I'm saying, never again. And I'm borrowing. Now listen, if you want to give it to me, that's a good thing. I'll receive it. All right? I will receive it but I can't borrow it, okay, because I'll lose it. Now, please don't get mad at me. Some of y'all get, you don't like that. You're like, no, no, it's okay, okay? 
So one of our deacons gave me this book. He just put it on my desk. He says, it's yours. I said, is this mine? He said, this is yours. It's called David and Goliath. Now, who couldn't want a, a book like that? But it's not written by, I don't think he's a Christian. He might be. Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, and what's the other book he wrote, guys? Tipping Point, read that one. So I started reading that book this week, even though I'm trying to read Benjamin Rush's biography, and I'm trying to read that theological tome called The Systematic Theology. But I started reading this book, and I'm fascinated by this book because he says, and here's his premise of the book. It's very fascinating. The person we should have been concerned about all along was not David, but Goliath. (laughs) He said, because Goliath, thought David would fight on Goliath's terms. But David didn't fight on Goliath's terms. He fought on God's terms, and he did a new thing. He didn't walk into the valley and say, let's get it on, man, like Donkey Kong. Let's you and me get after it. He would have died. And David had the wherewithal to say, you big hunk of Philistine giant, you stay there, and I'm going to give me some stones. And this is radical. This is unconventional. This is a new day. This is a new thing. He picks up that stone. Bam! Boom! Whoa! He dies. Almost. And David comes over there and lops his head off, raises it up. And, and, and Malcolm Gladwell says all along, listen, you should not have been worried about David. You should have been worried about Goliath. I never thought of it like that. So he tells a story about the 12-year-old, blonde-headed girls, very uncoordinated, basketball team, the Redwood City League team. They were terrible. And this guy named, oh, my word. I can't, I don't know if I can pronounce it. Vivek Ranadivi. He's not from Alabama, by the way. (laughs) He's from India. And he's smart. (laughs) <laughs> why did God give the Indians so much brain? Do you ever notice that? They're just smart people. I just love them. I just love hanging around thinking osmosis. Maybe they'll just drift off on me some. So he found a brochure about MIT, read the brochure, came to America, went to MIT and graduated. Massachusetts Institute of Technology, one of our top schools in America. Graduated easily. He said, I think I'll coach the 12-year-old girls' Redwood City basketball team. I don't know a thing about basketball, and I've got the most misfit girls under the sun, but we're going to enter our team into the city league. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And guess what they did? They won almost every game, made it to the national tournament, and advanced to the third round. And they were terrible. Guess how they won? They didn't punch the ladies. They didn't scratch them, like scratch them, pull their hair out. That's illegal. But Vivek, he he said, I studied basketball. And he goes, I never played basketball, but I noticed that if they could never get the ball in bounds, they could never dribble down the court and be taller than us and beat us. So, ladies, here's what we're going to do. They've got five seconds to get the ball in. Do not let them get the ball in. If they do get the ball in, do not let them get past half court because they give them 10 seconds. If they get past half court, we're toast. So like a swarming bees, those girls, they just buzzed around. They were playing East San Jose State, I mean San Jose City, and they were dominant. 
I mean, they had been playing together for years, and they were like, we're going to squash y'all like a bunch of bugs. And within minutes, the score was 20 to nothing. The Redwood City blonde-head, uncoordinated girls were winning 20 to nothing. They shot layups. And the coach for the other team was, he was screaming. Listen, you don't scream at 12-year-old girls, do you, Kyle? You can't do that. They just go, they just got nervous. They just got petrified. And they, listen, one of the dads approached the Indian coach in the parking lot and says, I'm going to beat you to death. And he tried to fight him because he was just beating the stew out of these taller, more athletic, better teams. He said, sometimes you got to be a little unconventional, color outside the lines, and do it differently than it's always been done before. you got to do things differently. And then he told this interesting story about the, uh, the University of Massachusetts. We're playing Fordham in a basketball game, 1971. UMass had not lost a game in two years on their home court, and their star player was a man by the name of Julius. Doctor, help me. Doctor, Dr. J. I was like, I like this story. He's one of my favorite players. Well, this little team, the Fordham, what is their mascot? Fordham Rams. There they are, the Rams. They came in, they were outsized, outmanned, and nobody gave them a chance but Coach Digger Phelps. Interesting. He said, guys, we're going to do something we've never done before and we'll probably never do it again, and they didn't. He said, we're going to full court press these guys and let's see what happens. Well, they did. And even though they had Dr. J and they had not won, had lost a game in two years, those guys, they were much smaller they beat them by almost 10 points. There was a guy sitting on the bench for the UMass team. They called him a skinny white guy that never got to play, okay? His name was Rick Patino. And if you know anything about college basketball, you know that Rick Patino went on to win a national championship at University of Kentucky, and just last year won a national championship, anybody, with Louisville Cardinals. And guess how he did it? He did it with the press. And they interviewed him. They said, well, why, why don't people press anymore? He says, here's why they don't do it anymore. It's because it takes too much work. He said, 98% of my practices, the players are moving. He said, the only time they rest is just briefly when I take about 90 seconds and give them instruction, then they keep running. I never let their pulse rate get low. I keep them moving, moving, and moving. That's unconventional. That's a little radical, but it works. So I I was thinking about our church again. What, what, What is it that God wants us to do? What is it that God has in store for Great Hills Baptist Church. Is it to change our faith, to change our doctrine, to quit preaching the Bible? Absolutely not. That is not an option. Let me tell you what would happen. Two things would happen to me if I quit preaching the Bible and comb my hair back real slick. It was cool. I have a hard time being cool. If I quit preaching the Bible and just, and just 
started telling a bunch of stories and watered down the gospel, two things would happen. I think my wife, she would go to another church. That would be weird, weird, okay? She, she's already told me, she's like, you should quit preaching the Bible, buddy. I'm going to go somewhere and they preach the Bible. And I'm like, who are you, woman? I want to marry you. That's wonderful. And then number two, I pray God kill me and take me to heaven before I abandoned the Word of God and created some pop psychology, our best life now and forever, and just fill Great Hills Baptist Church up overflowing with people. Nope, nope, nope. Not going to do that. I want us to be faithful to God, a people of the book, radical for Jesus. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for who you are. You're awesome. And thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for all the great things you did in the past. However, God, what is it today? In 2013, in a city, God, where the vast majority does not go to church, they, you ever try to invite somebody to go to church and Austin is the strangest thing? They just look at you like, say, what? Say, what? Did you say come to the 6th Street and have a party? I'm into that. But I'm not much into the church going stuff. 92% of them, they're not interested. And this is where we are. And in and, and Great Hills, we, we got some challenges. We, we've got some debt that we're, we're going to have to work on, and we're going to have to deal with that. And so the devil would say, man, people are not interested, man. People don't want to hear the Bible anymore, man. Y'all got a bunch of debts. You, you're just in trouble. Man, what are y'all going to do? Just shrivel up and die and don't worry and don't, don't even try to press into the unknown. Just maintain what you got, brother. Maintain what you got and just get on into retirement and don't worry about all this. Don't stress yourself out over great hills being great again. Man, I want to tell you something. I'd rather die than camp out. Same old, same old. Man, what is God my legs weren't hurting. I was flying over these things and going to land over here somewhere. What is it? Woo! What is it that God wants us to do today? What is it? Well, I can tell you what it is. Business as usual, don't cut it, okay? Don't cut it. What is God saying to Great Hills Baptist Church that's going to make us make a name and a fame for Jesus Christ, and it just might be a full court press? It might just be different, okay? I haven't a clue. <laughs> I don't know. People think pastors have crystal balls. What are we going to do? Ask Brother Danny. He's got a crystal ball. Oh, there it is. God said go. It didn't work like that. If it worked like that, I wouldn't have to trust him. But I want to tell you something, guys. I'm trusting God for great things, for great hills. I'm done. That's my sermon. That's all. That's, that's what God gave me. That's, that's it. Oh, I almost said I hope the Lord never asked me to do that again. Because that's just way beyond my comfort zone. I like order and, and those kind of things. So, if God so put this message on my heart, and I know what time it is, time to go. If God put this message on my heart and would not let me preach what I really wanted to preach, and I can't wait to preach it next week, because I studied all week and I did my little highlights and drew underlined and I'm ready, I'm ready. So what is God, what did he tell you today? 
for the person who just got diagnosed with cancer. He said, He said, don't be afraid. I got you. I've got you. For the person who's having trouble with his job, the Lord says, you really don't need to worry because I'm going to take care of you. And I may do it in a way you didn't know. I may do it in a new way. Maybe you're a leader at Great Hills Baptist Church. Maybe you're one of our staff or you're one of our deacons or one of our longtime faithful members like the would-be sitting over here. And I would be curious, what did God say to you today? What did he say to me today for our church for such a time as this? I'm excited. Aren't you, Ashley? Aren't you excited? That is the most optimistic soul on the planet. I praise God, and I hope my son, Bryant, preacher, I hope he marries somebody like her who will encourage and not discourage and marry somebody like you married, Miss Barbara, who encourages and doesn't tear you down or beat you up, or at least not in public. Amen. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But they build us up and they encourage us and enables us to do what God has called us to do. So let's do this. Let's stand to our feet. Cross the water. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to let you go home. Okay? We're not having a public formal invitation. Public formal. But here's what I want to do. If God really spoke to you, and you think you need to stay and talk to him, or you need to stay and talk to me, then I'm just going to hang out here at the front. So the rest of you, you can, you can go on home. And Are the Cowboys playing today? Bless their hearts. Are they? Are they? Are they? Okay, bless them. Bless them. And by the way, it was a rough day yesterday for our teams. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't much whooping, and there wasn't much clawing, and it was just rough. I mean, I'm, the more I'm becoming Texan, the more I get sad when these guys uh, when they, and they lose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I might be the sad one next week when my Auburn Tigers got to host the number one team, Alabama. I hope they beat the stew out of them, but I don't know that they, I don't know that they will. Hey, we love you. God bless you. Go in peace. See you. See you next time. You're dismissed.